0: Hello, Work Truck World. It's Kurt Moreland, Associate Publisher with Utility Fleet Professional, and I'm proud to introduce a new podcast, Under the UFP Hood. You know, I was going to say, hello, utility fleet managers, but we're more than that. And then I was going to say, hello, bucket truck fleet managers, but we're more than that. You know, what I love about this industry is the diversity of our products, the variety and the versatility of equipment. You know, we have everything from 150-foot tower trucks and all-terrain vehicles the size of tanks, all the way down to small EVs and everything in between. And that's what makes this industry so exciting and something that I'm thinking that anybody who works in fleets who listens to this podcast, is going to get some valuable information. So I'm very proud to announce that my first guest for Under the Hood is Dan Remmer. He's the fleet manager for Ameren, Illinois. And the reason I'm so happy to have Dan with me is because whenever I'm at a trade show or conference, eventually I get a tap on the shoulder and it's Dan. Uh, he's one of the most active people, and really one of the nice guys in our industry, and that's why I'm so glad to have him as our first guest on this podcast. So, welcome, Dan, to Under the UFP Hood.
1: Hey, good, good afternoon, Kurt. Good, uh, good to hear from you again. We go,
0: we go back a few years, I believe. Excited to have you here, Dan. Tell us about some of the organizations and the fleet meetings uh coming up that that you're involved in yeah well the the big one on uh, my radar
1: right now and really it's it's the hallmark of uh of all things when you get into the utility fleet professional world is really the eufmc which is really the electric utility fleet manager conference held out in williamsburg uh it's coming up in june I'm actually very very uh honored i'm on the board of of this great organization um we're just like your kickoff we're more than just the electric fleet utilities that's how it started but it's really uh if you're a muni municipality uh you know telecom all that stuff we broadened our our scope for that as well Uh, i'm not as involved as much anymore but a lot of my team still is some of our uh, regional um Folks, and I think it might be one of the first places we met was the Midwest Energy, sort of a Midwest organization. And then, and then of course, you got uh, the used to be the IQ, but uh, you know, all those uh, where we get to kick the tires. But uh, those are those are some of the big three that I've been involved with over the years.
0: Yeah. Now, um, in the last couple of years, IQ, which we all know it, we're uh, you know love it dearly. Uh, has changed their name to Utility Expo. So we're all learning that uh, uh, new branding name there. And for EU FMC, um, you guys have a, a big hallmark coming up that we're looking forward to celebrating this summer. It's uh, the big 70th anniversary, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, we're doing, we're planning right now. Everybody on the board's working hard. But
1: yeah, hopefully we got to Few extra special things for, for everybody comes out this year for the Sabia. Yeah, so yeah. Thanks for mentioning that.
0: You know, not to put you on the spot here too much, but when I'm, when I'm out at the trade shows out in the field, um, I, I get people uh, who ask me, how do I get invited to EUFMc? Cause you just can't fly into Williamsburg and show up. You have to be invited. Is there a process that people or vendors need to go through to, to get involved? yeah the supplier side is is somewhat unique it is invitation only if you go out to
1: the website you can get on a waiting list and and we review that so what makes that one u- unique is we try and create that balance between the suppliers and, and it's really about the network of the network and the education of the fleet professional so uh it's a blend of um you know kick tires talking equipment, but it's really breakout sessions and the the like. So suppliers, there's a process. As far as anybody that owns, operates, manages uh, fleet equipment in the utility segment, uh, if you go online to go to uh, ufmc.com, you can register. uh, Registration opened up actually a couple weeks ago, so uh, it's already hot and heavy. Uh, Last year, I believe we set a record for
0: the number of fleet professionals, and I almost expect this year to even be bigger yet. So... That's fantastic, Dan. All right. Well, let's get uh, started here. Let's uh, jump under the hood, if you will, with our lucky seven questions, uh, short and sweet answers. Uh, The first thing I want to ask you is, how did you become a fleet manager and uh, get to your current position? Yeah, interesting ride. Um, Somewhat... uh... Pointed
1: my ship one direction. Part of it was uh, luck and opportunity and hard work, but I, I basically came up through the ranks. Uh, dealership tech started at the local utility in '95 as a technician. And if anybody's been around in that time frame, that mid to late '90s, a lot of churn going on in the industry, down of downsizing, and really within a two-year period, everybody that was doing fleet management at, at utility basically uh, left to, to early retirement. So. I was pretty much the young guy, and uh, now and I, now I got to uh, you know do all things fleet management uh, for the utility of Central Illinois Light Company at the time, small utility in around Peoria and Springfield areas in Illinois. Um, fast forward, uh, you know, like the next three years, was some more merger acquisitions. So really, within three years, um, we we changed the name uh, twice, uh, added a third company. So went through a lot of merger acquisitions on both sides um, uh, through, um, call it the early 2000s. Um, and then really in that time, I really got a chance to do all aspects of fleet management, uh, frontline supervising, acquisition, disposal, budgeting, forecast, you name it, uh, by necessity or opportunity, I got to do all that stuff. And uh, starting in 2012, I started my current role of, uh, it's now senior manager for, uh, Ameren, Illinois. So I'm in charge of all things fleet on the Illinois side. Ameren has two, uh, divisions basically, Ameren, Missouri, and Ameren, Illinois. I, I run the Illinois side, cradle to grave, flight department,
0: uh, you know, buying all the new trucks, budgeting, and everything in between. Man, that sounds awesome. You know, um, it, it's pretty, it's pretty common, as you mentioned. Um, to, to the veterans in our industry, that you uh, usually came up uh, to be a, a utility fleet manager, either uh, working your way up through the utility itself or uh, from the car dealership business. But I, I've noticed that uh, we're, we're now getting uh, a new breed. Uh, they're coming from other walks of life, like maybe the, the military or, or shipping industry yeah very much and actually it was
1: very reflective of that uh, when we got back in person at uh, EUFMC last year seeing um, a tremendous amount of new folks. People have been in fleet management less than a year or two and both generationally, I guess I'm one of the old guys now, but even a, a wonderful blend of of uh, women in in fleet management role, which is really, really exciting. So yeah the traditional path maybe probably the minority. Uh, but it is, uh, it, it's really
0: cool to see the diversity in the fleet management ranks. Well, and hopefully they're going to find this podcast helpful and informative. And uh, that's why we're doing it. It's fantastic. So um, can you tell us how many uh, vehicles you are in charge of in your fleet? And you already said the geographic area that you cover.
1: Yeah, uh, really about 35, 3600 uh, total assets, break that down on ballpark numbers here, about 1800, 1900 on road, um, 500 plus for uh, construction or yellow iron equipment. We've got about a thousand assorted trailers, which sounds like a lot, but keep in mind, we are a dual utility. We both have a uh, natural gas uh, function and the electric, so very diverse in our equipment also very geographic. Um, So those that may not know of my service territory, pretty much everything south of Chicagoland, Interstate 80 to Kentucky. You want a visual, we're about 44,000 square miles, which I believe is the size of the state of Indiana. So pretty spread out. We have a blend of metropolitan areas and, um, you know, a lot of rural territory. So we have to have a lot of diversity in in the types of equipment we have.
0: You know, we did a survey a few years back and uh, some items that I wouldn't think being part of a fleet that showed up uh were boats and uh I guess uh bulldozers to move coal. Yes. Um, what's what's the most unusual vehicle you have on your fleet? Well, we do have uh, a boat which it, it gets used for usually emergency uh,
1: situations where you have line or gas, you know, and a lot of times it ends up being a flood situation. But I'd say I'm pretty traditional. I mean, we've got the, the handful of uh of uh, high-reach aerials. We don't really do a lot of transmission work on the Illinois side. Um, you, we've got to track off-road stuff, but yeah, we're pretty traditional. A lot of service trucks, a lot of buckets. Yeah, um, pretty much my my
0: makeup. Sounds good. So uh, one of the things that I hear uh, in our industry from our peers is the supply chain issue. Um, tell me anything that you're doing that you can share with our audience uh, that's helping you with um, su- supply chain? Yeah,
1: probably the best thing for the last couple of years. I really got to forget everything that you were taught, learned, you know, uh, sort of the management practices of the last 20 years. So, um, not that you got abandoned. Uh, think of just in time, right? So, just in time from our part standpoint, you know, we've had to move off of that. So, Um, bringing on some additional inventory, trying to outguess what the shortages may be. Um, You know, our our parts to the service equipment hasn't been too bad, but it's it's a move target. You know, tires one day and one uh, size, some lubes over the winter, you know, tomorrow it's water pop. So that's part of it. The other side of, again, of some of those long practices uh, may have some value, may not. That, you know, a lot of, a lot of us in the investor own world you know long single suppliers or sole source suppliers those things were all uh very much in for a lot of years long-term uh contracts so you know some of that there's some good bad but what we found is we've had to add in a lot of secondary suppliers just to get what we need so i guarantee everybody on this call dealing with allocation shortages so you know, just having that one supplier hasn't worked in most cases. So we, we've added in additional secondary suppliers and a lot of our stuff. Our longer term contracts during all this remote and, and COVID have expired and we've gotten sort of into a trend of just doing one year extensions just to understand what's next. Uh, we're now approaching with a couple of our bigger segments, you know, sort of trying to find that path out of that. What's that look like? So some more to come on that. But on the plus side is the long-term relationships also did add some value when you're on allocation, you're um, getting some production slots. So we actually found this out on our slight duty chassis side a couple of years ago, trying to layer in a secondary supplier. It's like everybody's like, eh, thanks, but no thanks. We're taking care of our existing customers. That's all we got. So we couldn't even... Couldn't even apply that, so uh, it is really being a lot more creative. And, and and some of the stuff we've done for twenty years is sort of question if if it's still offering the same
0: value. Yeah, um, a few years ago I would have asked you um, for an update on EVs and you know what you have, but now the I, I guess the hot topic word is what are you doing uh, regarding sustainability. Yeah, sustainability. Uh, so, investor own utilities
1: utilities—we've been doing a lot of things in this arena for a, lot, a long time. Um, so, for us, it's—it's it's, it's been a variety of things. We've released some some forward-looking statements and all in on the, you know, at the some level of, uh, you know, uh, carbon neutrality at some point in the future. Uh, we're all trying to figure out what that looks like. But for the fleet side, we've been doing a biodiesel twenty percent blends and. A lot of our location for many years, which is really offsetting some of that traditional petroleum source. Um, we're a dual utility, so we do have two um, CNG compressor stations in our in our service area. So done quite a bit with some CNG uh, equipment uh, in those two areas, and then we've dabbled in the EVs and hybrids as they come on. But for our utility. We, we have not traditionally had supervisor vehicles or pool vehicles. So early on, most of the EV products were focused, you know, on the cars and the small SUV type stuff. So we played around with a few, but really it's been this year coming is really when uh, it's starting to get real for us, where we got the half ton um, pickups, you know, full EVs coming to market. And our strategy is really to try a little bit of everything, uh, whether it's pickups or, or some of the other technologies. Not necessarily going all in on one thing. So we have uh, Rivians. uh, Missouri's got theirs on the ground. Ours coming in a a month or so. We're in line for some Chevy Silverado. We're working with Ford, trying to get some allocation on the Ford Lightning. So really getting a blend. Uh, So on that half ton, um, we uh, are very involved trying to see what's next on all things buckets. So talking about the class seven and eight. Aerials actually are probably going to come sooner than all things medium duty. So by the end of the year, I suspect uh, first next year we'll, we'll we'll play around with having a full EV uh, bucket truck on our property, which is really going to help us understand all the charging and all the uh, infrastructure stuff needed for the future on, on that on that piece. And then um, we do have quite a bit on full EV. For trucks, those seem to be pretty uh, available. So our uh, store warehouse system, I think they're on path. They're about halfway through a five-year plan to get full uh, EVs on all things fork truck. Um, been looking at the yellow iron side or the construction side, I've been talking to a couple different manufacturers, uh, seeing what's uh, coming down the pike. Doesn't sound like it's quite mature yet, but soon. Uh, I think there's a niche fit for us there. Uh, we, you know, a lot of us utilities tend to run lighter, you know, mini X's and skid steers. And we tend to domicile it back at a location where it's easier for us to charge it. So I think there's a niche there for that. Obviously like all the other ones, weight concerns, you know, we'll have to see what that all will. So a lot of activity going on. I think we're at a very transitional time. You know, it may look sort of like the 1900s, a lot of references back to that time frame. So we're, we're touching
0: everything and and we're going to, you know, to grow as the technology evolves that sounds outstanding all right well anybody who uh, knows me and my podcasts i like to have a little fun with it too and so uh i always <laughs> like to get a, a good wildlife encounter story so dan i understand that uh you may have had a face-to-face with a bear encounter well yeah kurt so
1: whether it's a wildlife story or, or a celebrity story or whatever i'll leave that up to you guys but uh Five years ago, um, had not ever visited the Great Smoky Mountains. So me and the wife decided to do a nice little weekend. Rented a little Airbnb up in the up in the mountains and took in the sights. Did some hiking on the trails out there. It was really, really, really great. But fast forward, uh, basically to the last day, and, uh, we're dividing and conquering, getting ready to leave, pack up, go home. And wife, she's packing up all things that we brought, and I'm making breakfast. Always enjoy, you know we hear a noise and I'd sort of lost sight of her. So I thought it was her and she thought it was me. And We realized that wasn't the case. The noise was coming from the porch, So I thought, Oh, somebody must be, you know, here to check us out or something. So I opened the door and basically come face to face. What I least think was maybe Yogi bear. I'm not sure, but big black bear surprised the hell out of him. He surprised the heck out of me. And, uh, we both went sort of in opposite opposite directions fairly quick. So, uh, might have been a yogi sighting, uh, not sure, but at least,
0: uh, got the full experience of the green mountain. Well, I'm glad you both went opposite ways, and and uh, he and he or she did not invite themselves in for breakfast.
1: <laughs> no, I must have already got theirs, I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, well, back to a little bit of business. Uh, are you guys doing anything a little different in uh, the shop maintenance uh, department? Uh, you talked about. You know, parts and supply chain, but uh, anything uh, under the hood or kicking the tires that you guys are doing a little bit differently? Yeah, it
1: really has to do more with our uh, maintenance model, in house techs or, or, or vendor supplied network. So we've been a little unique that we, we do about 70% in house with union technicians and about 30% that, have been, especially the smaller lay down our yards or OCs with. Uh, vendors and contractors so and it's served as well but we have noticed now a couple things going on that controlling that equipment uh, availability and reducing the downtime is we're much more creative and effective with our in-house guys I, to be honest we have always been an in-house maintenance you know it's sort of where i came from uh but it's really become more and more apparent that, that you know our guys have a lot more flexibility to be able to search for parts get things you know uh, than when we see a truck go to some of our vendor areas, it, you know, uh, it, it's staying there for an extended amount of time, either waiting on parts, but it's also a technician shortage uh, and, and, and pains around that. So the other side of it is the recruitment and retention of, of tech. So we're all fighting for a very uh, small group of talent. And it's, it just seems like since 2020, it's just accelerated. And for me, I think it's two things. One, downstate Illinois, I think we've been on the top of the food chain to be able to track good talent. But since then, I think there's a just even a lesser number of, t- of technicians, maybe less folks coming into it. But I think the outside is is reacting, trying to hang on to their guys even more. So. It, it's really uh, focused on, on those two aspects of what can we do differently and, and be more efficient with the groups we got. We have flared in things like bringing more of the, the, the larger jobs into a hub, larger facility to do those repairs. Uh, we added in what I would call a hybrid model where we got a non-traditional uh, area, but they're more like a triage guy. They're not doing a full-fledged everything maintenance on that truck but it's more about uh, the DOT inspections getting them out the door doing chassis inspections and the like and i would say right now we're really looking at some things around road service and other things we'll get more coverage with the, the technicians that uh, we we employ here at amco cuz it's just i don't know the the value statement's just really leaning more of that direction today quite different than when i started in this industry
0: yeah traditionally utility fleets uh, do everything in house. Have you guys uh, experimented experimented with outsourcing anything like oil changes or tires or anything? Nah, now nah, those were really big years ago. Never been a
1: fan of that. To be honest with you, I'm I'm quite the opposite. That my my philosophy is controlling the. PM piece, the preventive maintenance, the oil change, you can better control all things on that maintenance cycle, right? So if you're outsourcing all that, you're really at the mercy of a person doing that. And do you need that? Or are they upselling or are they under maintaining, which we see quite often? So I'm more of a fan of of doing that preventive maintenance, knowing what it needs and then outsourcing or the peak work or the things you need. We did the PM, oh, we know it needs. Something more than we're wanting to take on, but we could possibly sublet that out.
0: Okay. Well, for my last question, I'm going to try and do an impression of Doc Brown uh, from Back to the Future. Great, Scott, Marty, let's get back in the DeLorean and go Back to the Future. So, uh, if if uh, uh, Dan could go back and talk to young Dan, what what advice uh, would you uh, give yourself? Well, Kurt, there's probably Three things
1: here. So the first one, we sort of talked about it at the, be- at the beginning, but network, network, network. So tons of industry peers out there. You don't have to learn it all your own. We're all fighting the same battles. One thing I know about fleet people, we're very generous and, and willing to share. So EFMC, local fleet things, you name it, network. Okay. The uh, the second thing is, uh, is you really got to make sure you're establishing a seat at the table. And when I say that, I mean, Internally, so a lot of times, and I've seen it both. Whether you come up through the ranks or you're you're you come from a de- different discipline, uh, and you focus on fixing the trucks, buying the trucks, and you sort of hope things everybody notices. But you really need to focus of of getting a seat at the table with your senior leadership. A, a wise guy told me a long time ago: if you don't have a seat at the table, you're more than likely on the menu. And I've, I've sort of really experienced that earlier in my career, where when you get into those lean times you know, CEOs and CFOs are looking at their, you know, expenses in the fleet. When you look at it as a total segment of capital purchase and the operating costs, we're a real high ticket item. So it's going to get looked at. Be having those conversations proactively and bringing solutions to leaderships on how you can better manage the cost because they're not all managed by fleet. There's about 50% of those costs that are really directly influenced by the operation people that run them, whether it's idle time utilization, trip optimization, you you name it, you've got to be communicating, bringing solutions to your leadership. The the last piece is more of, I guess, an approach and it's just lead with passion. So, you know, uh, and I think most fleet professionals have that passion, you know, uh, show that everything you're doing, Approach people like you want to be treated. I mean, it's that simple: firm, fair, friendly approach. So don't—you're not going to make everybody happy. You're not going to build a perfect truck. It's just not going to happen. But if, explain that why and treat everybody fairly, and and then layer in that old, your own personal touch, and it it
0: will it will get you far. Man, that is great advice. Well, we're getting ready to uh, close the hood on the first episode of. Under the UFP Hood, which hopefully will be going on for many years to come. And uh so Dan, you you mentioned celebrity. I guess you can add to uh, uh your resume that uh you are a celebrity as far as being our first guest of under the UFP hood. How does that feel? Oh man, feels awesome, Kurt. Good good to chat with you again. Look forward to see you. Probably the probably coming up in June, probably be my next opportunity. So Definitely. Well, again, I want to thank our guest, Dan Remmert, uh, the fleet manager at Ameren, and just want to remind everybody out there to roll safe. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes that your company made prior to the